Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Tuesday, November 2nd. We begin with our continuing series on the far-reaching effect of global supply chain issues due to the pandemic. We speak with Craig Lord, Global News online journalist, for a look at the impact the shortages are having on the housing market. Should Canada consider boycotting the 2022 Beijing Olympics? We discuss the possibility and just how effective a boycott might be with a professor of kinesiology from Western University. The online traffic in homes is busier than ever these days between Zoom meetings, social media and streaming movies and games. But is your Wi-Fi enough to handle the load? We catch up with the gadget guy, Mike Yanni, for some helpful tips to make sure you're getting the most from your high-speed internet. And finally, he is a fan favorite around these parts. Our Dave McIver catches up with former Calgary Flames head coach and Stanley Cup winner, Terry Crisp, who's on somewhat of a farewell tour, leaving behind the game that he's been part of his entire life. The effects of the supply chain crisis now being felt even in the housing market, with more on the latest impact of short supply in our nation, we are joined by Craig Lord, online journalist for Global News. Good morning to you, Craig. Good morning. How you doing? Good, good. And I think that when we talk about the supply chain as consumers, we think of the everyday goods that we need or maybe looking ahead to the holiday season, and we can think about these tangible products. So can you explain to us how the supply chain or short supply issues are impacting the housing market? Yeah, so uh, so many of the things that we order uh, from overseas, whether it's uh, you know the latest Christmas present or uh, the semiconductors that go in, in all kinds of electronics and even cars, those come from similar sources from China, other overseas markets. And so when your home builder is uh, looking for you know even a garage door, maybe a kitchen appliance, uh, window fixtures, bathtubs. They're getting them from similar sources and they're facing similar delays in getting them into Canada and into your home. So this is not just affecting new home builds, though, I would imagine. It also must be affecting homeowners looking to renovate, for example, because all those products you mentioned, they might be things that we're trying to fix up in our current home. Absolutely. I spoke to an Ottawa home builder that does a lot of renovations and even doing a simple you know, window replacement if they can't get those windows in, well, your home's not exactly uh, livable. While they're waiting for mm-hmm. those to come in, they can't finish the exterior. So it's the way that even small things, if there's a gap in that supply chain, the way it affects the whole timeline, your ability to live in your home, to move in if it's a new home, it really compounds in a way that's uh, resulting in average delays of seven weeks up to nine weeks, I've heard from industry professionals. Greg, from what you're hearing, is is this the peak? Uh, could it get worse, or, or do we see an end in sight at this point? Certainly going to stretch into 2022 is what I've heard from, from the Canadian Home Builders Association. Um, hard to say if we're at the peak. Uh, we have seen uh, there were some astronomical lumber prices earlier in this year that have come down. So a little bit of improvement on the lumber side of things. But uh, those delays are uh, definitely stretching into next winter. Uh, the best, the best uh, guesses I've heard have been maybe a year we'll start to see some normalcy in our supply chain. But what that normal even looks like, again, not easy to say. Craig, is there anything that you've noticed or, or found that is not being affected by supply chain issues for us here in Canada in terms of building or renovating? 
Well, th- there are a few uh, a few areas where you could see homegrown products uh, being able to to supplement, uh, being able to to fill in those gaps. So some Canadian uh, lumber products that you're maybe able to get a little bit more readily are better. Um, but the the other issue on the other side of things is even if you're able to get it onto the job site, you're probably going to be paying a whole lot for it. So whether it's uh, pressure on the the timeline side, on the supply chain, or on the price side, uh, Canadian home builders and, at the end of the day, the home buyers and who's paying for these renovations are going to be feeling the pain. No different than the products as well. Somebody has to pick up the tab uh, whether it's a you know a, a, a Christmas gift or or the home uh, industry, so very interesting. Thank you for your time this morning, Craig. We appreciate it. Thank you both. That's Craig Lord, online journalist for Global News. We'll continue to bring you these stories because it is such a trend. And yes, as we get closer to the holiday season, could have quite the impact. Uh, you know, so those are the shortages there. And um, some people, you know, not only don't have a job, the shortages when it comes to the jobs. Some people might just be looking at it switching careers. And we do have an opportunity uh, coming your way as early as, well, right now it kicked off at 8 a.m. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is interesting. This is from the Aboriginal Skilled Workers Association, so the ASWA. They've got a big job fair event going on today at the Grey Eagle Resort and Casino from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. Uh, they're going to be on hand, folks from the organization there, to meet with tradespeople who are looking for work. So you're asked to just bring a copy of your resume, pop down, have a chat about what you're looking for in your career. And if you're not able to do that in person, you can do it by email, Andy. People can send their resume to info at aswa.ca and they'll connect you. So if you're looking for work, if you're thinking of a career change or a job change, this might be a great opportunity for you. Focusing on those uh, trades as uh, this morning, again, kicking off 8 a.m. right through to 4 p.m. And uh, you've got a tremendous website. You look online for more info also at aswa.ca. And what's interesting about this is, is this like the second or third job fair that we've talked about in the past few weeks? You can tell that things are starting to ramp up a little more. And this, of course, is the Aboriginal Skilled Workers Association putting on this job fair. This job fair in particular, it was the Calgary Sports and Entertainment Corporation earlier. Mm -hmm. And and I think that 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 was the the one we were talking about that we're hiring on the spot. So you got to keep your ear to the ground and talk to family and friends because it seems like, as you mentioned, now the opportunities are starting to come in, and particularly not only if you're, again, looking for a job, but maybe looking for that change. Might want to strike while the iron is hot. The release of the two Michaels garnered a lot of public attention, but another Canadian is being detained by China. With the 2022 Beijing Olympics coming up, there's growing pressure for Canada to boycott the Games and bring attention to the detention of Hussein Salil. To explain, we're joined by Mac Ross, Assistant Professor at Kinesiology at Western University, Good morning to you, Professor. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Give us a little background uh, on this situation. I, I think a lot of Canadians might be shocked, actually, to hear that there is another Canadian being detained. Yeah, so Hussein Chalil, uh, back in the early 2000s, was detained in China on um, charges of, of um, kind of separatism and things like that. Uh, because he stood up for the cultural and political rights of uh, Uyghurs in Xinjiang province. Um, He then subsequently fled um, the People's Republic of China and gained refugee status as recognized by the United Nations um, here in Canada. 
when he left Canada to visit uh, his wife's relatives in um, Uzbekistan, he ran into a situation where the People's Republic of China had asked the Uzbek authorities um, to detain him, and then he was subsequently repatriated. Um, and despite his his renouncement of Chinese citizenship and uh, becoming a Canadian citizen, uh, he's been in prison now uh, in China for 15 years. So let's talk about, Professor, why boycotting the Beijing 2020 Games might help secure his release. I mean, we know so much goes on behind the scenes that we have just no concept about. And if you look at the two Michaels and that situation, really there wasn't much that, that worked other than the release of Meng Wanzhou. Yeah. So h- how does this help secure um, Salil's release? Sure. So I think anytime we have op- an opportunity to uh, exercise some leverage against a, a giant powerful um, country like the People's Republic of China, um, I think we, we have to do it. There's not a, a whole lot of levers we can pull to bring Jaleel home. Um, so in this instance, we have the opportunity to at least raise the specter of, you know, um, not sending diplomats and kind of use that as leverage to say, look, release this man who's been unlawfully detained, detained without any evidence, um, you know, detained without a proper trial. Um, and uh, we will send our diplomats, but we're not going to send our diplomats to a place that, that imprisons our citizens without due process. Uh, but, uh, Professor Ross, uh, you know, one could argue that the leverage when it came to the two Michaels in exchange for a high-ranking you know, Ch- yep. Chinese executive has more weight than, uh, you know, missing an Olympics. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Sure. Um, yeah, it's not the same situation uh, at all. But uh, I-, I don't feel like the Canadian government's done enough in the last 15 years to try to get Hussein out of prison. Um, so now that we have an opportunity, no matter how small it might be, um, to try to do something positive to help this case, I think we have to take it. To play the devil's advocate, how fair is that, though, to exchange someone who is in prison, one man, uh, a political prisoner, really, for all the athletes who've trained their whole lives to get to the Olympic Games? Well, what I'm talking about is a a diplomatic boycott. So it would be more about not sending politicians uh, over in in support of the Games to kind of schmooze and wave to the crowds and things like that. Okay. um, I'm personally in favor of a full boycott of the Beijing 2022 Olympics, but I, I don't know um, if if that kind of action would actually um, benefit uh, Hussein Jalil necessarily. Um, and it's it's a lot bigger question um, than than the politicians. Uh, I, I can't see any ethical or moral grounds to send people to compete. Uh, I do understand the the argument that people have trained their whole lives for this opportunity, but it's not just about um, Hussein Chalil. I mean, he's he's our example here in Canada. He's been in prison for 15 years, but there's millions of people in prison in China. Um, they have no press freedom, so it's not as if we can send people over and report back. Um, they, and when I say they, I mean the Communist Party of China, uh, obviously not the Chinese people. Um, they they have people in detention camps for re-education um, all throughout Xinjiang. The southern Mongolian herders have been pulled off their land in the hundreds of thousands and uh, replaced into um, urban environments so that they can be assimilated. 
Um, similar things happening in Tibet. Uh, recently, Tibet was ruled to be the least free place in the world. Um, so if this is, is what the Olympics is all about, and the IOC constantly uh, kind of bangs on the drum of, you know, we're about peace and friendship and international harmony, well, what about all these people who are basically living in, you know, settler, colonial um, situations on the outskirts of, of the People's Republic of China who have virtually no rights? Professor, you know, you know we are but one country, and you say the IOC yep. is going to keep doing the IOC. How important would it be or how much more of an impact would there be if we were to get some of our allies on board and have other countries, you know, stand up with us and some of those other countries who may have prisoners in China as we speak? Yeah, I think it will just take one big country to uh, to start the ball rolling, um, to get the movement underway, and then I think other countries will follow. Um, I know the United States is really talking seriously about a diplomatic boycott, um, but like I said, I'd like it to go further. Um, but uh, specifically for the case of Hussein Jalil, I think the threat of a, a diplomatic boycott is a good bargaining chip. Interesting discussion. No doubt we'll keep talking about this as we head towards the games themselves. Thanks so much for joining us, Mac. Appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. That is Associate Professor of Kinesiology at Western University, Mac Ross. And I, I mean, there's no, you can't get around the fact that the human rights abuses in China are many. And, and as he said, thousands of people are being held in prisons in that country, likely without, you know, due cause. Yeah. As we, we understand, even with the two Michaels, they were a perfect example of that. But, I, I mean, I don't know that uh, an Olympic boycott, is that really going to help? Well, you know, in, there's so many things to, so many different angles here in the sense that the IOC is a, an organization that has been called into question for years. Mm -hmm. And I, I like to think back that even, you know, when it comes to the money that is asked by any host city, we saw that the last bid and we had our plebiscite here in the city of Calgary. Calgarians didn't want it. And, you know, where do these monies go? Is it a good ROI? Um, and uh, so IOC, that's a different issue. And, you know, maybe they should be looking at where they're, you know, choosing these host cities. Mm -hmm. Well, but, but, that I fully agree absolutely. with. Absolutely. But at the same time, yeah, we don't have the same bargaining chip as we did with the two Michaels. That's the bottom line here. Yeah. In the diplomatic. We had the ultimate bargaining chip absolutely. in Meng Wanzhou. And in this case, I think it was Shea Gannon who hit on this, uh, you know, you know, a couple of months ago even, we were talking about the two Michaels. We have this idea that sometimes we're, we're a big player. We're, we're a huge country. But population-wise and economically, we, don't we, have a lot we of aren't pull. a superpower. No. We're, you know, we might not even be half a superpower. We do think we, we're pretty yeah. awesome. Do we have influence? Thank yes, you. we do. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> We've got Tim Hortons That's and right. maple syrup. Um, but in the end, you know, uh, I, I think sending a message is better than not sending a message. I agree. Diplomatic boycott, I think, makes total sense in this case. What that looks like, I'm not sure. And uh, can we get our allies on board? That's my question. And there's a battle raging on in our homes. Zoom meetings, social media, streaming movies, and online games. Our devices are constantly competing to get better bandwidth from our high-speed internet. So what can you do to make sure everyone in the family gets that bandwidth that they need? Local technology specialist, gadget guy Mike Yanni joins us this morning with some tips on how you can make sure that you're getting the most from your high-speed internet in your home. Good morning to you, Mike. Good morning. I'm going to start. I'm going to put you guys to the test, okay? Okay. If you were to think about how many devices are connected to your internet at home, what do you think the number would be? Uh, I'm going to go 12. I'd say, I was going to say 10. 
That low, hey? Oh, no, I don't really? know. It might surprise you. Think about, you know, everything from laptops to smartphones to tablets. And then think about smart speakers, smart lights, smart oh. switches. Uh-oh. When people are starting to transform their homes into smart homes, all of a sudden you're adding, you know, dozens. I'm going to change my vote to 27. <laughs> that still might be low, Sue. It, really? You know, it's, I, I did a count, and this is kind of crazy, but I had nearly 100 devices when I checked online. How many are actually connected? Almost 100 in my home. Wow. But, I mean, every single smart light bulb is connected. So all of these devices in your home, they're all talking to the Internet, and they're all fighting for bandwidth. So I'm going to give you three tips on how you can improve that. And the first one is so simple. Some of the listeners might roll their eyes and go, yeah, right, that's not going to work. And this is going to the old IT route of go to your router, unplug it, wait 30 to 60 seconds, and then plug it back in. You would be amazed at what that could do for your speeds in your home. Routers are basically miniature computers. They not only dictate on how far the signal goes in your house, but also dictates on which devices get how much bandwidth. And over time, they build up memory. So that's why you want to unplug it for a while and then plug it back in to make sure all the energy is drained out of the device and it can reset its internal memory. And then you're not resetting the, the, the actual settings. Keep that in mind. Okay. So it's easy, it's quick, it's free, and that can make a huge difference. Okay. Things will come back online naturally, so that's good for uh, people who aren't so tech savvy. Yeah. I was going to call myself an idiot, but basically <laughs> that's what it gets down to. Um, so you do that first because then you're not just shelling out the bucks thinking you have to pay to fix a problem. But if that doesn't work, maybe it's time to upgrade. So tell us about getting a router upgrade. How do we know that when that's the time to do that? Well, when's the last time you upgraded your router in your home? About a, about a year and a half ago. That's not bad because some people say, well, you know, a company came out and they set it up for me and that was five Mm -hmm. years, that was 10 years ago. And they're wondering how come they're not getting speeds on their new devices. Mm. The technology changes so fast in routers. If you haven't upgraded for three, four years, I mean, they've improved two, three times since then. So that's another option. And you can do that, you know, for as little as $100. You don't have to break the bank to do that. The last one I talk about is, this is kind of interesting, about doing your research. You're going to be hearing a lot, a new buzzword with high-speed internet called fiber. So this is using fiber optic cables to bring the high-speed internet to your house compared to the old copper coax cables. But when I do say do your research, you got to watch because some of the companies say they're bringing fiber to, the net, for, to your neighborhood, but what they're doing is they're bringing fiber cables to a network node, and then from there they go back to the copper cable. So automatically it's already bottlenecked. You're not getting what's being advertised. Uh. So you want to get a pure fiber internet connection fiber to the home so do your research on the companies and which ones actually bring pure fiber right to your house because that will make a difference um i might get in trouble for this but uh, i did my research and there's actually only one company doing it within calgary and that happens to be telus um you know that could change over time but do your research and make sure you know what you're signing up for when you sign up for fiber because you're going to be hearing a lot about fiber over the next little while Good to know. Gadget guy, you're, you're in the know when it comes to these sorts of things. If, if something's running slow in the house, and let's say you have an iPod, an iPad, and a couple of phones, and uh, two or three of those uh, users turn off their Wi-Fi, will I really notice a difference in the other devices? Not necessarily. No? No, I... I... I, I know you won't. <laughs> it's kind of a myth that, you know, one person, unless you're taking, you know, gigabytes of bandwidth at the same time, you're oh, not going to notice okay. a huge difference. All right. How do you get yeah. a router, Mike? Oh, you just go to uh, a local electronics uh, shop. You can and buy your and own. You, you don't have to get it through your service provider or anything? You don't. Uh, that being said, the ones that are actually coming out through the service provider actually are pretty good. Have you guys heard about Wi-Fi 6? No. 
So Wi-Fi 6 is kind of like the new Wi-Fi standard. And actually, it's going to be Wi-Fi 6E soon, but that's not in Canada yet. So we're still in Wi-Fi 6. Uh, and that is basically it's a bigger footprint of Wi-Fi in your house. Uh, and also, it does a better job of, you know, divvying out the, the signal to the different devices in your house. Uh, and it can take a lot more devices than older versions of Wi-Fi. So that's why I said, you know, when you're upgrading your, your routers, you might want to look for something like Wi-Fi 6, uh, because that'll do a much better job of making sure your uh, individual items or devices actually get the bandwidth they need. And we would ask, have to ask our provider about Wi-Fi 6, right? Yeah, I know. Um, and, uh, you know, I hate to throw brand names around, but I know TELUS is giving out Wi-Fi 6 routers now. Okay, that's the uh, router, I, the Wi-Fi 6 router you want. Yeah, and they're gotcha. actually providing that when you sign up. But you can go to a, a store and actually purchase Wi-Fi 6. One thing to keep in mind, though, if you have older devices, let's say you have an iPhone 6, maybe your child's using it, or maybe you're using one. Um, those ones... <laughs> Maybe, right, Andy? <laughs> Those ones don't take advantage of Wi-Fi 6. Okay. So newer devices are able to take, you know, complete uh, advantage of that. Older devices, not so much. So if you have a bunch of older devices in your house, Wi-Fi 6 probably won't make a huge difference. Super helpful info. Thanks always, Mike. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Mike Yanni is the Gadget Guy online, at Gadget Guy on Insta. Uh, uh, he's at Gadget Guy Mike, and you can find his YouTube channel as well. The man who led the Calgary Flames to the Stanley Cup is calling it a career. And Dave McIver got to chat with him as he heads out on his retirement tour. On October 30th, the Nashville Predators announced that Terry Crisp, a member of their broadcast team for 23 years and Flames head coach for three years winning the Stanley Cup, was retiring at the end of the year. Crisp would have liked to have kept it quiet, but it wasn't long before the Terry Crisp retirement tour was born. It's interesting how it happened because I just want to go quietly into the sunset, as Bearcat would say. Give one, one last yodel and disappear. And I'd ask my boss last year when I was saying, listen, I won't hang out to dry. It's my last year. I want to have some fun. But we, were, we won't announce it until the end of the season, last game or two, and we can say goodbyes. And Yeah, and suddenly, boom, they pop up, and I get calls from the CEO, Sean Henry, and Billy Wicked. And I said, Chris, we were having a farewell tour. And my first thing was, well, if I'm having a farewell tour, you guys are doing. Could I have like Garth Brooks and Alan Jackson as my my opening acts? <laughs> they said not, but it's so. You know what? It's was unexpected, but it's at, at first you're a little, uh, you know, uh, come on, it's embarrassing, guys. Don't do this. And then when you think back, you know what? It is nice. My wife and I get it back. Uh, we're going to do a, a couple of ones, not all of them, because but of course Calgary we'll do. Uh, we'll do Tampa. Uh, possibly St. Louis, uh, but other than that, no. And it's it just sort of snowballed into something fun. And the owners, Mr. and Mrs. Barb Pritch, said, "Well, listen, let's just jump on our plane. We'll take you and Sheila out to Calgary, over to Edmonton, and back home." He said, "Love it. Let's start the tour." Terry has been in professional hockey for over 55 years—an amazing run. But with everything going on in the last two years, he talked about what went into his decision to call it a career. I've always said we were blessed. Sheila and I in, in hockey, we don't, we never went outside the hockey world. And you sort of, you know, in your heart, the same as your coach, whatever, it's time. And last year with the COVID and all of the different things coming in and hunkered down in a bunker and you couldn't talk to coaches, you couldn't talk to players, you weren't allowed interviews. And I've often said when the fun starts to eke out of it, uh, it's, it's time I'm going to leave. And I told Bob, my boss, Bob quote at the end of the season that Bobby, it's been fun, but I'm going to tell you now, so I don't hang you out to dry. 
I'm done at the end of this season. Terry has been in Nashville for 23 years helping out with the broadcast team, and the story of how he got there is a great lesson in owing someone a favor. I, we, I came here 23 years ago to do one game to help them out, and I got a call from a good friend of mine who had started up with the uh, Preds and said, Crispy, just come up. I said, no, I'm done. I'm retired. I'm done. No, you, you owe me a favor. I said, so you're calling in your note, Jerry? He says, yeah. I said, okay. Came up to do one game, enjoyed it. They coerced me into a, a doubleheader the next weekend. 23 years later, I'm still in Nashville. She and I just love it in Nashville. I have 16 great years beside Pete Weber, my play-by-play man, and I moved over when things got uh, changed around onto the desk and worked with the desk people. But I, I said to Sheila, and we talked about it. <laughs> One day, Sheila says to me, we're having coffee. She says, did you ever dream about or realize that we might grow old together in Nashville, Tennessee? <laughs> I said, no, hon, I never did realize that. But it's it's been a great trip. Now, how do you talk to Terry Crisp and not ask him about his time in Calgary? And, of course, that terrific cup run. So what does Calgary mean to the man they call Crispy? It means home. It was my my NHL where I was Cliff Fletcher and uh, Al McNeil and Al Coates and gave me a job, gave me a start in it as a head coach in the NHL and the fans. And the run was awesome. And people always say to me, what, what did you? I said, you know what? I stepped into a team that Badger Bob Johnson had had that had put them on the right track and had formulated a tremendous hockey team. And I was lucky enough to get in behind it, get the reins, and carry it for a while. But people ask me, I say, today, you look for, everybody uses the phrase team leaders. Who's your team leader? McDavid, Dreisaitl, Ovechkin. When they asked me, I said, I had a team of them. Had a whole hockey club. You look back and you think, I was blessed with this team. And when they won the cup. Here comes the siren. Here come the flames. Champions. 1989. The people we made, the fans we made, and the fun we made. And, you know, people say, well, you know, Crispy, you won a Stanley Cup and you get fired. I said, you know what? That is so immaterial. That is so aside. I was blessed that I got a chance to do it. And lucky enough to do it with Cliff Fletcher and that team and whatnot. So, and and the run. Think about this: the young kids I got to coach, Roberts, Fleury, Newendike, uh, etc. On down the line. What more could a coach ask for? And as it turns out, Terry still has the puck from that Game Six win in Montreal. We're winning the game, and there's about a minute and a half to go. Two minutes, maybe. Nobody knows the story, except a few do. And uh, I was thinking, you know. When I was in Philly, I got the winning puck that 74 game. It was good. Something stupid goes through your mind as a dozy coach. So, so I said to Gilmore, Killer, I'm going to put you out in the ice for the last. You want to be on the ice and the final buzzer goes, you know, Killer. Yeah, I guess so, Crispy. I said, okay, got a deal. You're going out. There's about two minutes left. You're not, not coming off the ice. You're staying. But when that final buzzer goes, Killer, you get to the puck. You get it. Then I get it. He says, yeah, okay, coach. So I put his line out there, but 40 seconds later, we changed lines, but I tell uh, the next sentiment, hey, stay where you are. So the sentiment sits down, because killer center. Another 45 seconds, change lines, sentiment, sit down. Now they're starting to laugh. Killer's out there just <laughs> End of the story, when the buzzer went, killer got the puck. And the one thing I realized is in the video, I jumped the boards, head for killer. Like I said, Selfish, yes. I have the puck. With over 55 years in the game, 
The one thing you need is family, and there will be 18 members of the Crisp family in attendance for the first stop of the farewell tour tonight. Dave, it's wonderful. I have people ask me a lot of times, you know, in hockey, to be successful and you want to be a hockey player or, or an athlete of any kind, and uh, my, my stock answer has been this. If you're smart and very, very intelligent and very lucky and very good, get a good woman. Get a good lady, marry her, and keep her. And believe me, I lucked out on all counts. I met Sheila when I was 16 years old, went to play junior B hockey then in Ontario, and was lucky enough that she said yes. And we had, so far, 56 wonderful, wonderful years in a wonderful journey in hockey together with our three children, uh, Tony and uh, Jeff and Kaylee. Now we got 10 grandchildren. And what more could a couple ask for in the, in the world of sports? I think it's safe to say Crispy will be remembered in the minds and hearts of Calgarians. I'm Dave McIver with Global News Radio 770 CHQR. Done it all. And here's what is, sticks with me, Sue, is he has Stanley Cup ring. He's, he's you know. And Three of them. He, you know, but you know what I mean? He has the hardware that we look at, right? Yes. He mentions two things. A- his wife and mm-hmm. his family, mm-hmm. and B, a puck. What's a puck worth? If you go to Canadian Tire, what do you buy a puck worth? But a couple of meaning, bucks maybe. But and it, that, yeah. Because of the, the significance, he mentions that puck and mentions family. Super grassroots. And he is just one of the nicest people you could ever meet in your life. He's kind, he's gentle, he's down to earth. He loves to talk about hockey. If you ever get a chance to sit down with Terry Crisp and just chat with him. And he loves his family. And a lot of them are stationed right here in the city of Calgary. As Dave said, 18 Crisp family members uh, will be front and center to watch that game tonight as we honor Terry Crisp at the Flames game. Crispy, a crispy night. (laughs) It will be that. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.